Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch, here it is. Swung, fly ball, deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, 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 yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. A 25 lighters on my dresser. Yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Well, hey there, everybody. Welcome to the Platinum Sombrero. As you may have noticed, we're doing this episode on Monday. There were some things that we're not allowed to discuss thanks to um, our the TPS lawyers. Uh, we are not allowed to give away the reason for our absence. All you need to know is that we're here for your listening pleasure. Brought to you, as always, by Armchair Media and our friends at MyBookie. MyBookie.ag, the number one online sports book. All the best updated lines and prop bets. Whatever you're looking to bet on, mybookie.ag has you covered. Whether it's college football, NFL, playoff baseball, or what have you, mybookie.ag has it covered with all the best lines. Premier customer service. No question is a dumb question, and they will help you figure out everything you need to know to make your experience the best experience. Mybookie.ag. And using our promo code arm or using our promo code chair not armchair just chair c-h-a-i-r they're going to give you a 100% deposit match up to a thousand dollars that's free money you put in a thousand they put in a thousand you're rolling heavy if you're like me and you don't have a thousand dollars to just throw away put in whatever you want 50 bucks 100 bucks they'll match it and you have some money to show off with if you really are as smart as you say if you really know as much as you say go to my bookie make some money off the side play win and have a great time mybookie.ag well it finally happened doc we here at tps are officially the greatest ever uh we are 2 and 0 in our chase for national league east championships uh i would just like to point out that this is 100% because the Platinum Sombrero, because Dylan and Doc teamed up, and, and not because of any other reason. It, it's really just us. Agreed. 
one 1000% agree. You know, we, uh, it kind of makes me wonder why we didn't start this during the rebuild. We could have, uh, we could have saved a lot of people from a whole lot of nonsense, but yeah, man, it was, uh, it's the same weekend as last year. We're recording this on the 22nd, which is the one year anniversary of when they won the division last year. So this is, uh, something about this time of year. It just makes winning a division title so sweet. And man, that clubhouse <laughs> was a zoo. Oh my God, that looked like the most fun celebration, didn't it? It, it really did. Belly flops in the pool out in center field. Uh, Dallas Keuchel going crazy. Luke Jackson, uh, I don't know what he was doing, but it looked like he was having a lot of fun. Donaldson was completely tanked and gave oh us God. one of the <laughs> gave us one of the best <laughs> locker room quotes ever. Uh, just just an all around fun time, and I'm glad the Braves were able to clinch at home. You know, you don't want to see them lose the series to Philadelphia because it's Philly, but it is just, I think it is just different when you're able to clinch at home and you've got the fans there going crazy and you're able to clinch in front of your guys. You don't have to go back on a plane that you're just right there. I think, I think it's a little bit different. I think so. And I'm so glad that it wound up being with a Braves win and not the Nationals loss. When the number, when the magic number gets down to one, you can start to say, well, I mean, that's entirely possible that the Braves could lose, but the Nat- Nats lose too, and then they wind up having like a the deflated balloon celebration, like it's well, we lost, but we, you know, we we still technically won. So, winning in in convincing fashion, and it was just, man, what a what a great great night it was, man. And and now now you can finally start to see the guys are resting a little bit, and you know, all of the hard work that that, that they put in, they wind up. They made it, you know, and we don't have to worry so much. Like the the odds of the Braves overtaking the Dodgers for the home field advantage, it was always a long shot, and I I think they would have to fall just totally in the tank to wind up losing second place now. So like the outcome of the games, truthfully, it really kind of doesn't matter anymore as long as they you know it'd be nice to get to a hundred for sure. They have to go four and one to get to a hundred wins. That's but, actually what I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you, do you care about the 100-win benchmark? Is is that the the thing for you? Or would you rather see people get uh, get rest? I, th- I think probably rest. I mean, we've talked a lot on the show about guys getting ragged out, just looking tired. And, and you know, it, it tends to happen. Like, even with regular rest, you wind up getting tired at, at the end of the season. So not getting rest is just, you know, all these guys are zombies out there. But for now, I think the uh, – the ability to make a run is real. Like this isn't last year when we just kind of lucked out and the NL East sucked and we, we went, it was a good team, but there were a lot of things that wound up working uh, in the Braves favor. So now like this team has got a chance to make some real noise. And, and every, every conversation I have about it, I'm trying to temper my expectations, but I'm like, we can win this thing, dude. We, we Dylan, you and me, we've we've already won the NL East two years in a row. We can win the World Series like we really, really can. So in order for that to happen, I think, you know, Freddie's going to wind up taking a little bit of time off because of his elbow. Ozzy's been off the last two days. Donaldson off today. Uh, Acuna off today. Like, I think that just getting these guys back as close to 100% as they can get as they gear up heading into the playoffs, I think that's it for me. But if you told me that you wanted the team to get to 100 and just say screw rest, I would I could probably get behind that a little bit too. 100 is a nice round number. It is, and it, it's just something that I don't think the Bra- the Braves haven't won 100 games in what feels like forever. Um, I don't know. I, I I kind of agree with you. Let them get their rest. Um, 
The other question is, how do you manage getting them a lot of rest, but also keeping them fresh for the playoffs? You don't want them to, to lose timing. I almost wonder, if, maybe if we had a different manager, if you could see like the star, almost like spring training, where the starters get uh, a at-bat, and then they come out of the game. Just something to keep them seeing live pitching, something like that, and give Acuna a chance to go to, to try to get to that 40-40, because that's my next thing. Do you, with what, six games left in the season, or five games left in the season, do you do you see Acuna getting those last three steals? Is he going to be given the opportunity to get those? I think if he gets on base, then I I think that you know he made his desire for it pretty clear earlier in the season. Uh, it's forty forty is kind of a vanity, but when you're this close, I mean, you have to at least give yourself a shot. And the fact that the Braves played the Phillies seven times in the last month of the season when he got close, I know he stole a couple off of Real Muto, but that's that's a dangerous guy to be running on, and. You know, when they're playing the Royals, it's what Mavis Valoria, and then you've got Wilson Ramos, who's going to be catching for some of it. Um, Ramos is not exactly a defensively sound catcher, so I think that you can see him try and try and sneak in the final three. If if he gets it, cool. If he doesn't, I mean, that's I mean, there's nothing I can do about it. I would love I'd love to see him get it because even when you look at the most recent time that somebody somebody flirted with this, it was Matt Kemp back in 2011. He got 39 home runs and 40 steals, and nobody talks about how good that season is because he didn't hit that plateau. And I don't want the impressiveness of Acuna's season to wind up falling by the wayside because he didn't didn't wind up getting those past those uh, final three steals. If I'm being honest, I don't necess- I don't think he's going to have the opportunity to do it. I mean. The clinching game was a prime opportunity. He had plenty of times where he was on first base, and I know they were up by a fair number. Um, but Snit didn't want to didn't want to break the old school rule of, of don't steal with a, or you don't steal with a lead or with a big lead. Um, I, I I'm just starting to feel like he's not going to quite get there. Um, he's already made a, a record for what he's the only player under what under 23, I guess that's that's gone 40 and 35. So, I mean, he's already had an amazing season, and whether or not it gets talked about is not going to change how how great it was. Uh, I've got a question that I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to ask the listeners here in just a minute. Um, But you brought up Freddie, and today was a little bit of a scary moment. Uh, He gets pulled out of the game, for those of you that uh, that didn't know, um, gets pulled out of the game with his right arm, uh, his elbow. Is that the one with the bone spurs, I believe, as well? Um, his right arm was acting up on him, and uh, he got pulled from the game. Did look to be favoring it in the dugout, apparently. According to the re- the injury report, if you believe that sort of thing, he's fine and he could play if, if this was uh, if this was the playoffs, he'd still be playing. But here in Braves country, we've kind of heard that line before. Uh, that always brings me back to Dansby Swanson last year. Oh, he's just going to miss the 10 days and he'll be back, and he ends up missing like the entire rest of the season. Yeah, I was uh, I was watching the game today on mute. I've got a got an article coming out for Talking Chop, so I was uh, working on that with the with the sound off, and I just looked up, and you could see Freddie looked like he was kind of not necessarily grimacing, but he's just such a happy dude all the time that it makes it really obvious when he's in in uh, displeasure. So I you could kind of see him favoring it, keeping it keeping it bent and everything, and I think. You know, the fact that two weeks ago he was dealing with the same thing, I think that that's kind of um, troubling. We'll we'll just refer to it as troubling a little bit. But based on the fact that the Braves have already clinched, there's an off day tomorrow. They already said he's not traveling to Kansas City, and the team is off on Thursday. Like he's getting 
he's going to get a ton of rest, which would be good for every everywhere on him outside from his elbow. And just getting um, getting a couple days to where he's not going to do a cortisone shot because it weakens the area around the elbow. But he's going to wind up doing some laser treatments and a couple things there, and just need him to be healthy for the next month. You know, he doesn't need to be uh, doesn't need to be superhuman on this. He doesn't need to be super stubborn. And based on where the team is right now, they can afford to give him a second. And this also gives them the chance to take a deeper look at Austin Riley and say, you know, you haven't really been hitting great, like kind of at all <laughs> since you came back. A couple extra base hits in there, but a ton of strikeouts, but. For somebody who can spell Donald or uh, Donaldson at third, Freddie at first, and and play some outfield too, is like a low grade Camargo or what Camargo was doing before he got hurt. Yeah, and, and we'll we'll talk about those guys in the second segment. But I want to keep everything happy here in the first segment. We just clinched the division for the second straight year, and this year there was a lot more adversity that we overcame, which we'll again talk about when we start talking about things like the playoff roster. Um, but. Your cousin, Jake Herbert, shout out, uh, asked you a very interesting question. It's something that I think a lot of people are asking themselves right now at this point in time. It's something I covered on the Surprise Locked On Braves episode yesterday, or on Saturday. Um, your favorite storylines for the season. So I did a kind of a general, more of a an individual type thing when I talked about it. So I'm going to let you start off with this. But this this was a season chock full of a lot of memorable moments. So for you, Doc, what what were some of the ones that really stood out? Let's just go one by one. As far as individual moments and not like full storylines, I keep coming back to uh, Max Freed, pinch runner <laughs> against the Marlins, just for the ridiculousness of that entire situation. Um, just the whole the whole thing of him flying around third base with the high socks and he lost his helmet. I mean, just the whole everything about it was preposterous. And at the time, he was the best pinch runner that we had. And uh, the team was kind of in a real uneven point. It looked like they'd, they'd come out of some of the nonsense that had been happening earlier in the season. And that particular moment, that was like something that really kind of underscored the funness of this team, which that's something about the 2018 team that – Every time you turn around, something ridiculous and fun was going on. And at that point of this season, that hadn't happened yet. So that was one of the moments where you started to, to see the team personality come out a little bit more as far as individual moments. Um, Culberson's throw, home, all, both of these happened against the Marlins. The bases loaded, nobody out with uh, Culberson throwing out, I think it was Jorge Alfaro at home with the absolute seed that he threw in from left field. That was that was a crazy fist pumping in my car type moment. Um, just looking like a fool in traffic for that. That was, that was really, really cool. Um, what about you? What, what were some of, some of your favorite individual moments? There were a lot of them this season. If I'm going to pick a, a, I think Brian McCann's walk off really sticks oh, out to me. Oh yeah. Uh, the one where he's like leaning his face into the the stream of, of Gatorade, just the the pure <laughs> happiness he has to just be able to to do that in Atlanta. Uh, yeah. that to me I think that's an iconic one for this season. Um the, there's a few others that that really did. The Josh Donaldson moment with with Joe Musgrove, I think was such a storyline because it was such a, a turning point for Josh Donaldson in his season. Um and I think the first robbed home run from Ronald Acuna where he's playing center field was it was against the Phillies I believe 
in Philadelphia. Uh, I want to say it was a Scott Kingery potential bomb, and I know Scott Kingery got him back later, but I think it was was it, was it the Phillies or was it the Mets? Well, the the super iconic one was the one against the Mets, where he pulled it back against Davis and act like he didn't get it. But as far as the one against the Phillies, when was that during the season? Early in the season, pretty pretty early. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, this was he was playing center field, so this was after Ender had gotten sat down. Um, I can't I can't remember who it was. I wanted to say it might have been Reese Hoskins or it might have been Scott Kingery, but the went up over the wall in center field and just starts sprinting um toward, sprinting back towards the the field. It, it's just one of those things that kind of encapsulated what what we could see out of Ronald Acuna that it wasn't just the bat, uh, and then watching him hose people. <laughs> out of right field was pretty iconic for me. Uh, it's been a while since we've seen uh, an Atlanta Braves outfield where they can consistently hose a ton of runners, and it didn't just be Andrew Jones. Uh, it's been a while since the Braves have had an outfield that you kind of fear to run on. Um, and you mentioned Culberson's throw. Uh, I believe Austin Riley has hummed a few guys. Adam Duvall's thrown a guy out. Um, but Ronald Acuna, when he was playing right field, with that that like weak stretch where he threw out like three three base runners, think that's pretty iconic as well yeah I, th- I think so the the blue jays game where he threw out um i know biggio was one of them that it's one of the guys that he threw out at second and they'd cut to craig biggio in the stands just kind of nod his head like damn that guy's that guy's pretty good and uh biggio being a hall of famer that's no small praise so now as far as like big overarching storylines, like not not just individual stuff like that. Like, and I'm ashamed of myself that I left out the McCann one because that right there, that was like, felt myself getting a little weepy during the post game interview on that one, man. That was that was powerful, powerful TV to watch. Not just the fact that that the Braves came back from that, but who did it and the whole just how hyped he was. And that was like right during that was during the week that the Braves wound up gaining like seven games on, on the division. That was one of the uh, that preserved the eight game win streak. I think that was huge. That was the same week as, as the Musgrove game. So that was that was cool. But as far as overall storylines, I think you know my feeling on Mike Fultonavich. And this was this was what I, I told Jake when he asked me this was like the reemergence of Mike Fultonavich as being somebody that went from like being written off because he was giving up a ton of home runs and just looked terrible. He looked hurt. He obviously he, he was hurt and uh, went back down to Gwinnett, reconfigured himself, and over the last eight weeks has been just lights out. Like it's gone from is he going to be on the playoff r- roster to which game is he going to start? You know, he's I love him. I have said many times he's my favorite Braves pitcher to watch when he's on. He shaved two and a half runs off his ERA in the last eight starts. I mean, just unbelievable to watch. Um, I really think Ozzy Aldi's uh, evolving and becoming like a kind of low key superstar a little bit. Like what he's done on defense, he's got four errors this season. I know that the errors are not like the end all be all of defensive stats. Defensive stats on the whole are pretty hard to evaluate anyway. But I mean, that doesn't happen with middle infielders, and every he gets to everything, and he just he's amazing, and he hasn't slumped this year anywhere near what he did last year. Like he had normal ebb and flow type slumps and not like, Oh, don't mind me. I'm just going to go suck for three and a half months. I mean, he has been solid top to bottom and he's doing it with his legs. He's doing it with his gloves, doing it with his bat. And for seven years, $35 million, 
unbelievable. The best contract in sports, no doubt. It, it really is. And the other point on Ozzy, just the, the OBP, uh, to go from a guy that, that really wasn't doing anything if he wasn't getting base hits to, uh, to rocking a 350 OBP is, is actually it's a gigantic improvement. And you're right to call him a low-key superstar because he doesn't get the same publicity as an Acuna or even a Freddie. But for my money, I don't know that there's more than maybe two second basemen in all of baseball that I would put on par with Ozzy Alpes. You're talking about Jose Altuve. That really might be it as far as, as far as dynamic second baseman. I know we keep saying that that there's a lot of good ones in baseball right now, but I don't think that there are any that are, you know, star type players. And Ozzy Albies can most certainly be I'll, I'll almost put him as the Andrew to Acuna's chipper, if that makes any sense. I think so. I think that's good. And I I see a lot of Freddie Freeman and Ozzy Albies where it's like he he's not going to wind up getting the notoriety he deserves. Part of it's the market. And in, in the case of Ozzy, it, it is the fact that there's another superstar on this team. And I think he likes it that way. It allows him to just put his head down, do work. And if you know, you know. But if you don't, well, then you're missing out. I mean, Ozzy's uh, gee whiz. <laughs> I can't can't say enough. Cannot say enough about what he's done. And he's hit everywhere in this lineup. Anywhere you put him, he's he's found a way to make it work. And when they sent him down to the eighth spot in the lineup, he didn't pout. He just went about it. He did the work that they needed him to do. And and yeah, he's he's legit one of the best second basemen in the game. Twenty two years old. It's absolutely incredible. Uh and and to, to speak on that superstar in center field that we were obliquely mentioning. For Ronald Acuna, what, what he's done as far as breaking out, he really is a transcendent Atlanta type of athlete already at, what, 21 years old? I don't think he's 22 yet, is he? He's still 21. Okay, so at 21 years old, I feel confident enough to say I think he is the biggest superstar in Atlanta right now, not just the Braves. I think he's the biggest superstar across all of Atlanta sports right now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean Matt Ryan's time is kind of coming. You could gone, say, I mean, uh, like you could say Julio Jones. Uh, yeah, you could but, say Trey Young. Uh, you could even say Freddie Freeman if you want. Uh, you could say Joseph Martinez from the Atlanta United. I think Ronald Acuna is the biggest superstar in Atlanta. Uh, maybe even the, and probably the state of Georgia. Period as well. Uh, it, it's. I don't know that there's any other guys. National guys will talk about Julio Jones as well, but. You don't have that same amount of, of fervor all the way across the country like people do for Ronald Acuna. You've got Acuna fans all over all over the states, um, and Braves fan or Braves fandom is just so far reaching that I think it, it's just I think he's I honestly I just think he's a bigger superstar than even Julio Jones, and that was a hard one for me to come up with because Julio is a big time star, especially in the NFL. But the Falcons are a much smaller fan base than the Braves, and I, I really think that Ronald Acuna spans across the nation more than Julio Jones. Well, and for the amount of notoriety that Acuna has gotten, like we, we have spoken many times about, you know, the, the big market bias and everybody's going to favor the Phillies because they spend money and everybody's going to favor the Mets because they're in New York and, and the Nationals get plenty of love too. And the fact that Acuna has got so much notoriety over the past year and a half has really helped the Braves as a team get a lot of notoriety too. Cause it's like people are tuning in to watch Acuna's at bats and it's like, Oh wait, 
that all these is coming up and then Freeman and then Donald said, Oh my God, I can't, I can't not watch this. You wind up getting sucked in. Like Braves games are like a, a vortex of goodness now, you know, and people that aren't even Braves fans will wind up getting tuned into it just because he sets the tone at the top and everybody obviously wants to see that. But when they, they're already here, they just see how special this team really can be. So what he's done still 21, five, 5.5 war season and progressing in a ton of, in a ton of different areas. I mean, still stands the possibility of not just being I, I wholeheartedly agree that he's he's the biggest superstar that's in Atlanta right now and he's if he puts up another year like this one I mean we're talking like absolute nobody will will be trout level but but still just in that that same realm of untouchability and reverence for everybody well, across the league where nobody's got a bad thing to say about him at all I think I'll say what you're trying not to say if he has another year like this year or maybe another two at the most, he may be the biggest superstar Atlanta has ever seen. Uh, yeah. I mean, because he's in order to be the level of superstar that I think the sport needs him to be. It's like, and that's that's why why Trout doesn't get the notoriety because he's not flashy. He just he like he just puts his head down and he does his job. Acuna's got that flash to him. He's like Bryce Harper without being a douchebag. So, uh, you know. I, and I think that part of the reason why Harper has become like the the number two to Trout's number one isn't even necessarily because of the stats. It has to do with the fact that, yeah, he, he will put up some good stats, but he's also he's willing to be in the spotlight. And I think that Acuna is certainly willing to do that, too, but he's got better numbers to back it up than Harper does. So the farther he gets into this whole thing, then the better I think it's going to wind up being for him and for the Braves by proxy. I just think that he's just a different type of talent. And I, I even meant that including like Chipper Jones, who was my all-time favorite player, obviously. But what Acuna does is just different. Like with Chipper, it was the the crazy ability to hit and to do a lot of things really well. The bunt play, super iconic. But with Acuna, it's everything. It's 40 home runs. It's the ability to steal whenever he wants. It's the exuberance. It's the fact that he's 21 years old. He's doing it out of the leadoff spot. He's the unquestioned dynamo of this team. And he gets the national recognition where you're getting the ESPN cut-ins on the bottom of the screen to say if Acuna's made it to 40-40 yet. I think that's just a, a, a difference in the level of notoriety and just the, the level of... I think when you have a guy who can do everything, I think people take more notice. And yes, he, he's more boisterous than Chipper. Uh, I do think I think you're right that that plays a role in it as well. But I, I think it's only a matter of time before we're talking about Ronald Acuna as the greatest superstar the not just the Atlanta Braves have ever known, but the state of the state of Georgia has ever known. Right up there with Herschel Walker. Um, but we do got a, a couple more things we got to get through. So I want to move this along here. Let's do a little fun adventure. Let's do uh, some team awards here. I think you and I will probably agree on the first one, team MVP. Um, I'll start off. Uh, it's easily Ronald Acuna. You can make a case for Freddie, but I, I think I think that Acuna being being the uh, more all around threat. I, I think I think I give it to him. Yeah. And for those of you that want to talk to me about his strikeouts, I couldn't care less. An out is an out, and he's done. He's hit more homers. He's got the most steals by far, and he is the spark plug for this team. When Acuna goes well, the team goes well because he can do so many different things for you. Team, the Cy Young for this team, I think, again, you and I will probably agree. Um, I'm going to let you go first this time. 
I'm gonna go with Mike Soroka. I, I love the I love what Freed has done, but I think as far as consistency, um, it has been Soroka and and the fact that he didn't even start in the the opening day roster. He didn't make his first start until April 18th, I think, and he's just been absolutely solid in his first full season. That's that's my dude right there. I'm gonna agree with you. I think I think Freed has been more impact. Like I think in certain starts. Freed has been the best pitcher Atlanta's had this year in particular starts. But overall, over the course of this entire season, it's undoubtedly Mike Soroka who has been completely poised. He never really looks rattled. There's been a couple bad games thrown in there sporadically, but for the most part, he's been phenomenal every single time he goes out there. Uh, nothing super flashy, but he he reminds you of some of these old school pitchers that all the announcers kind of cream their pants over, for lack of a better term. Um, <laughs> he he's just got that air about him of of nothing bothers him, and the Braves are always in the game as long as he's there. Uh, you it it's almost a shock when you see him have a bad day. Yeah, and and sometimes you, you'll have he'll have just like, like a nightmare first inning. I think it was Fourth of July where he started. Yeah, he started against Philly, gave up four runs before I think he even got an out, and then those were the only runs that he wound up giving up through five innings or something. Which four runs over five innings is not fantastic, but being able to throw five shutout innings after you just completely lose it at the beginning of the game, keep your head in it, keep yourself afloat, and he he just turned twenty two. He was still twenty one when that happened. I mean. That type of stuff doesn't even happen, man. Just so mentally poised. He's been, he's been lights out. And yeah, Freed, when when he shows out, he shows out big time. But when he kind of stays in that mediocre zone more often than maybe he should. Now this this is his first full year as a starter uh, in the big leagues as well. And I think some of this will wind up getting cleaned up in year two. But for, yeah, for me, it's it's Mike Soroka. Now we get into the more interesting ones. Uh, I'm going to call this one the uh, the best reliever. So not a it can be a closer. So I'll, I'll just call it the Mariano Rivera Award. Um, doesn't have to be a closer for the Braves. I'm really interested, and for all of you guys listening, make sure you're playing along and let us know yours as well. Um, this one is tough, so I'm going to bow out and make you say the first name. <laughs> Does it have to be somebody who's been with the the team for the for the whole season? Because that nope. that is a, that. That narrows it down to two names. No, it can it can be any of the relievers. Okay, um, in that case, I'm going to go with Melanson. He's he has stepped in. He's been like a, an actual closer. You can make a case for Luke Jackson here, big time. I know that he's got he's in that Marcakis and Snicker category where it's like people are abnormally hard on him or abnormally uh, de- defensive of him. But I think that Melanson coming in and. You know, the first two weeks when Martin Green Melanson, which I've seen referred to as MGM Grand in the last, <laughs> the last couple of days. I don't know who came up with that, but it's brilliant. Um, like that first two weeks was so bad. And then after that, where everybody settled in their role and figured out what they were supposed to be doing. You know, we spent a lot of time last year and during the early part of this year just being on pins and needles whenever the bullpen would come in and you never knew. Like, who's going to blow it today? Is it going to be Mincer? Is it going to be Sabatka? Is it going to be Jesse Biddle? Who's it going to be? Wes Parsons? And Melanson came in, and he's just like, I got this. This is fine. Everybody, just if you, you know, you can just check the score in an hour to see that the game's over. You're, you don't have to stick around and, and make sure that I lock this down. He's been so reliable, and that has been so sorely needed. I mean, who was the last lights-out close of the Braves had? 
I mean, was it Timberwolves? I mean, you're looking at Timberwolves like Jason Grilly. Timberwolves, Rafael Soriano. Yeah, like you're looking at at, at such a such a real long time since there's been like a good solid relief core back there and Melanson is the one who's like he's been slamming the door a lot I'm I really was big on that move when they made it and I'm glad that I haven't looked like a huge fool since then so yeah you uh, and I were the first one saying that he was going to be your closer not Shane Green right and and Green Green has rebounded really well too but Melanson is he's got the tenure he's he's got it in his genes I think that he's I think this is built for him. Do you go with him or do you go with uh, with somebody else? I might surprise you here. I'm going to say Luke Jackson. Uh, and I think despite how it's turned out or, or the, the fact that he blew a ton of saves as the closer, the fact that what he was doing was so important for the team when he was doing it. Now, after they got the big three, Luke kind of fell back to normal Luke Jackson, more like what we saw last year. But he's the only thing that really held that bullpen together. And as bad as that bullpen was, you got to remember AJ, like AJ Minter, Johnny Venters, uh, Bryce Wilson couldn't do anything. Tukey was horrible. Sean Newcomb uh, came up, but he had to go back down. And when he came up, he he was good, but he wasn't in there for a while. Uh, Wes Parsons. It was really Luke Jackson who was the only person who was keeping that bullpen afloat and keeping the Braves afloat in a lot of games. Uh, and it hasn't ended up well. But I think to ignore what Luke did for half of the season, um, I, I, I think that's a disservice to him. Uh, I think that if you're just looking at what's happened for the Braves this year, I, I think Luke Jackson is pretty easily the most valuable reliever that the Braves have had this season. I think he's he, he pitched so far above. He raised his own level so far above what he should have been uh, and so far above what, what he actually is at this point. That I, I got to give him some love, and that that absolutely makes sense. And there's there's a lot to be said for that closer mentality. That's kind of one of those things like veteran presence. It's a term that gets thrown around a lot, and and there you can debate how much validity there is to that. But some guys just don't necessarily have that. And for a guy that got DFA'd four times in 2018, who was thrust into the closer role within a month of the season starting, and actually. For the most part, when this team needed decent relievers, like he stepped in and he actually was one. And uh, yeah, I mean, you you can absolutely make it make a case for that too. Uh, I'm surprised you didn't vote for Shane Carl, uh, Dylan, <laughs> for the whole week and a half he was here. God, uh, the article that I that I was talking about that I was that I was writing earlier today. It's about looking uh, looking back on the different casualties of the brave season, like everybody who left from, from Gossman to Parsons and Carl and Biddle and everybody and digging into some of the numbers. It's like, I was more possibly more defensive about the, the bullpen than, than maybe I should have been. Cause I'm like, yeah, you know, you never know. Things could wind up shaking out fine. Um, it did not only did it not work out fine when you start seeing what everybody who left the Braves did, uh, when they wound up getting to their new teams, whether it's Biddle with the Mariners and the Rangers or Carl also with the Rangers, um, man, Parsons with Colorado, it's just, it's ugly. But that article will be out on the 23rd at TalkingShop.com. Be sure to read it. It's very depressing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last award here. I wanted to do something a little bit different. So this one is for the best non-starter, and that doesn't necessarily mean bench, but just somebody who, who is not a regular starter for this Atlanta Braves team. Uh, you and I talked about this before, and you actually changed my mind. I was going to say Charlie Culberson, 
Uh, please, everybody, don't don't delete this podcast from your archives for me not saying Charlie Culberson. Um, <laughs> I think it's I think you're right, and I think it's Matt Joyce. I think what Joyce has been able to do for half the season, he was just getting one at bat, just being a pinch hitter. And as far as being a pinch hitter goes, he was doing pretty well as far as pinch hitting goes. You guys got to realize pinch hitting expectations are supposed to be far lower than everyday expectations for a reason. It's not just that they're not generally good enough to start for you. It's that you're getting one at-bat a game, you're coming cold, you haven't seen anything else. Basically, every at-bat is your first at-bat of the game uh, against guys who have been warming up for you know seven, six, seven innings already. Uh, and But it, it, it's really when he had to step in when Marquegas went down and Austin Riley had gone cold, Camargo wasn't playing well, Adam Duvall went ice cold again, and Matt Joyce just stepped into the everyday lineup and absolutely tore it up. He absolutely performed far better than anybody had any any right to expect a guy that you bought for a bucket of baseballs and some bubble gum, like right as the season was starting. And that, that kind of, oh, if we can go back to the favorite storylines conversation for a second, the next man up thing where it's, whether it's Hechevaria or Francisco Cervelli or Billy Hamilton or in any of these guys that just came in, it's like, hey, we have a glaring need. We need to get somebody. We don't know if this is going to work. And they step in and they hit like 400 for a couple of days. And it was a similar thing with Joyce, but he was the very first one. It was like right before it actually happened on our anniversary. I remember I remember that happened back on March the 23rd and just being like, this is an interesting pickup. And just because he had been a starter, it's, um, you look at some of all of the guys that they wound up getting to supplement these bench roles in the back half of the season. And it's been guys that were actual good performers, solid starters, other places like Cervelli, uh, Hetch, Hamilton, all those guys. And Joyce had put out some great years in Tampa and had really good as recently as 2017 with Oakland. And when Marcakis went out, and like, like you said, all those guys, they really were struggling. We had just got Ender back, so we didn't know whether or not he was going to be any good. And he eventually wound up get, going out, too. So there was a possibility that things, the feel-good story, everything that had been going on for a while, that it could have gone completely haywire. But Joyce stepped in he at 365 over like the three weeks when, uh, when he got the starting role. Uh, from Marquecas, OPS a thousand, hit a couple home runs, played really solid defense out there. I mean, he Culberson, aside from that really bad streak he went on, because he was another one that that they were trying to to give him some starts out and right, and it just it just wasn't working. Um, Culberson would be a really good option there, and what you saw out of Camargo for like the I don't know twelve at bats or whatever it was before he broke his shin in September, you know that's that's the type of guy that we hoped he would be all season. But uh, just for all all year long, it's not Joyce for me. I, I can't argue that at all. Uh, but we got one more thing before we go to break. Um, this is to see how many people we can piss off. No, but seriously, um, I'm going to ask you here. Let's let's evaluate the job of Brian Snicker and. I'm going to try to be as completely fair as possible. I always try to be really fair when I'm talking about Snicker. Um, if you're a hardcore either way on him, then it seems like I either hate him or love him far too much. Um, but for the sake of this, not a lot of people... You talk about manager of the year, and Snicker's going to be in the running, obviously, because of how well the Braves have performed. Um, but I value Doc's opinion more than I value uh, national writers who don't watch the Braves. Uh, we see him every single game, as do you guys. 
so I, I honestly think that our opinion is a little bit more validated and a little bit more valid in general than guys that watch them when they play on ESPN. So with with that um, severe brown nosing, Doc, I'm going to ask you eva- <laughs> evaluate Brian Snicker. Uh, th- that was very kind, Dylan. Thank you. Um, you know, I don't feel like his managerial style has changed a lot ever since he first joined the team. That 2016 when Freddie got the Delta email, um, May 2016. Yeah. So, but I do feel like the players that he is surrounded with are much, much better, and that makes up for a lot. So, as far as his job, I never thought that he was like a, an absolute cretin as a manager or anything like that. But I, you know, sometimes he'll do something and just say, "Well, maybe." Walt Weiss has a chart that I don't have access to that he just showed Snit and he's like, hell yeah, we're going to put in Chad Sabatka or whatever. You know, some sometimes, you know, managers never, never bat a thousand. There's going to be, you know, whether it's the greatest manager that ever lived or the worst one, even the worst managers are going to make some good decisions and even the best ones are going to make some bad ones. Or even if you make a good decision, that doesn't mean that it winds up playing out the way that you want it to. You can play matchups all day, but if somebody, you know, throws a center cut fastball at 92, then it's going to be like, well, okay, that's not really on the manager. Long way of saying, I think I give Snit like a B-plus this season. I really do. I, I don't think that he's he's a brilliant tactician by any means, but I think that um, he's done a lot more good things than than his haters will ever give him credit for. And the, the things that he's done that are quote-unquote bad haven't even necessarily been that bad. So... Um, I'd like him back next year. I think I think that his clubhouse impact is just completely paramount. I've never seen anything quite like it. So that's a big deal for me. Um, so do you give your letter grade higher or lower than mine? Because I know that you are a little bit more vocal about about his managing style. Well, I I got to think about letter grade uh, as far as evaluating. I do think he got a little bit better as far as some of some of the uh, less traditional postings. Um, this year did not start off well with him forcing Acuna to bat fourth. And while Acuna's numbers were very similar, the Braves suffered a lot because it was a dumb move. Um, that was dumb, and I, I'm not going to pretend like it wasn't just because it ended up working out. But I do feel like he, he got a little bit better about realizing that some pitchers do have reverse splits. Now, you can always talk about the you know the, your example of throwing Sabatka in a game that he shouldn't or, or, or trying desperately – to, to continue using the A.J. Minter experience until uh, Alex Anthopoulos took that bullet from his gun. Um, but that's the type of things that player managers are kind of always going to do uh, because they want the guy to succeed, and especially a guy like Snicker that that had experience with, with some of these guys when he was still in the minors. The, I'm not forgiving those because they're, they're dumb moves. Uh, luckily, it didn't hurt the Braves. Uh, as far as an on-field tactician, I think that he's – a C minus, maybe a D. I think he's a very bad on-field technician. Um, I, I just like the double switches. A lot of times, didn't make a lot of sense who he was taking out at the time he was taking them out. Um, pulling Soroka in a lot of games that he shouldn't have, games that were too close to try to conserve an inning on an arm, or even when doing that, then wasting it by having Minter be the guy to come out in the next inning. Just things like that. Um, maybe D is a little too harsh. I'll give him a C. Um, because he did at least own up to, to the Acuna thing, uh, and he had the stones. I will give him credit for being – how do I want to report this? 
for being cognizant enough to not screw up the lineup when Danesby came back from injury. To to leave Ozzy in the two-hole after Dansby's injury, despite the fact that Dansby was performing so well in the two-hole before he got hurt, Snit didn't go to the traditional thing. and He's like, you know what? This is what's working. We'll incorporate him into the existing lineup. We're not going to change the entire lineup to go back to how it was before when things are working now. Uh, I think that's something that Snicker would not have done last year or the year before. I think that, uh, and, and, and I say the the tactical managerial thing for for one reason um, that is a big component of the game, uh, but it's not as big a component as a lot of people would have you believe. And Snickers intangibles, how he handles the clubhouse, uh, how everybody has genuine affection for him, not just you know oh, I like my coach. They they generally do genuinely do look up to him as as, as a mentor figure and kind of a, a father or a grandfather type of figure. And they want to play well for him. And that want to play well is something that you can't really teach. You either you either have that or you don't. And we've seen guys like Gabe Kapler that do not have that. We've seen a lot of managers in the NL East that do not have that. And I think that while the managerial mistakes are going to drive me up the wall for no end because through no end, because when you're talking about teams like the Astros and the Dodgers uh, and even the Yankees, they have such a a, a large talent gap between just about everybody else that you can't afford to make those tactical mistakes. You basically have to play perfect. But Snickers' main job should pretty much just be don't don't put your team in a position to lose. That's basically it. Like Let them make up for your mistakes. And the Braves do make up for a lot of his mistakes. But I think it's a bigger deal the, the locker room and the clubhouse intangibles that he brings to it are a bigger deal than his tactical deficiencies, if that makes any sense. So overall, overall, I'm going to give him a, a B. I think there's a lot of managers who are a lot worse in baseball than Brian Snicker. Um, as far as having him back next year, this is going to be where people get mad at me. Uh, Andy Green's on the market. I would prefer Andy Green. But not being able to get Andy Green then I want Snicker. I would still want Snicker in the organization, period. Um, but if I could get Andy Green, I, w- I would do a lot of things to get Andy Green. If Snit decided that he wanted to step down, uh, maybe take a, a front office advisory role or something like that, for me, there's one man for the job, and that man is Ron Washington. Yeah, Ron Washington, too, but I couldn't say no to Andy Green. I still cannot believe that the Padres fired Andy Green. Like, I don't know what they expected him to do with a roster that has Hosmer and Will Myers eating up like $50 million, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. That, that by the way, Andy Green is like my favorite manager in baseball. I think he's kind of the perfect blend of of new age analytical minds uh, and applying it to individual and not – not being so rigid that he applies it in every situation the way Kapler does. But that being said, I think Snicker is in the top, I'll say he's in the top 30%, the top, I'm going to be nice, I'm going to say the top 20% of managers in baseball. Well, there you go. You know, you are, uh, you're softening on your stance a little bit. It's funny how a division title will make somebody seem, <laughs> things seem better than that's also really That's are. also me being a little bit political on here as well. I'm going to straddle that line. Um, but no, but seriously, there there were some improvements from him. Um, the playoffs is a little bit of a different story because Dusty Baker was a great regular season manager, and I do think that it is still a significant possibility that Snicker ends up being uh, like our version of Dusty Baker. So I will continue to give honest coverage, in my opinion, of Brian Snicker as we move forward into the playoffs. But for now, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we've got a lot more things to discuss 
Things like, oh, our playoff rotations and the new outlook of who we might be playing. Things of that nature. We'll get back to it right here after these messages here on the Platinum Sombrero. This week's episode of the Platinum Sombrero podcast is brought to you by the Emotional Support Bra, presented by the Psychological Wing of Victoria's Secret. If you've got demons, or if you've got double demons, then the Emotional Support Bra is definitely for you. It's like a warm hug for your insides, but also for your outsides. Our product allows you to get deep in your feelings while providing positive reinforcement and emotional reaffirmation. And, unlike traditional bras, it lends unwavering support to the intangible hurdles you face on a daily basis. We guarantee that our product won't try and fix anything, it'll just listen. We've got your back, we've got your front, and we can't wait to prop you up. Because your cans can. Halfway between lingerie and therapy, that's the emotional support bra. Patent pending. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Platinum Sombrero, and boy does Doc have some things you need to be aware of, men. Doc, take it away! Do I ever? Dylan Short, uh, I, I don't know if you know this, but uh, there's a lot of dudes who uh, sort of struggle with uh, erectile dysfunction at certain points in their lives, and dudes, if you're listening to this, you gotta try Blue Chew. It will help you stop the mental anguish that comes along with ED. It can be devastating if you are too stubborn to do anything about it. But for those of you who are trying to make the change, reinvigorate your bedroom escapades, Blue Chew is what you are looking for. It's chewable, so it works in half the time. You can take it on an empty stomach, so the only restriction is your own pride. You can be ready to go whenever your lady is ready to go. You can buy it online at bluechew.com. That's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com, C-O-M. They'll ship it to your door in a very under-the-radar package nobody's got to know but you. Use our promo code ARMCHAIR and you get the first order for free. Shipping's on you, but that's just five bucks, and the product itself won't even cost you a penny. It's a win-win scenario. You get your vitality back, you can blow your lady's lid. Who loses? Nobody. If your tally whacker has become a tally slacker, then you need to try Blue Chew. Okay. That was amazing. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Uh, shout out to Boggy for and uh, and my buddy Steven for also at this point I've just got people sending me stuff like you have to save this in the next Blue Chew ad. I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's that's fine. So um, so yeah, uh, we next week we are coming up on doing another get to know a patron segment. Uh, so special thanks to everybody that has become a patron already at the uh, Patreon.com backslash TPS underscore podcast. We appreciate every single buddy who contributes to uh, to the cause every month, including our newest patron, Greg Stout, or G. Darren Stout on Twitter. Uh, thank you so much, buddy. We really do appreciate it. We hope you're listening right now, and we hope you are beaming with pride at having been mentioned on the Platinum Sabero podcast. Um, Greg, you and the rest of our patrons are now qualified to be a part of the Get to Know a Patron segment. We will be drawing names this week and letting you know if we, uh, if we will be reaching out to you for the episode. If you want to get your name in the hat, then feel free to uh, reach out to us on Patreon. Uh, you can also drop us a line at 678-208-7982. We always love to talk to you guys and interact with you. So thank you to our 
loving, loyal community. We thoroughly appreciate it. We really do. Thank you guys so very much. Uh, it, it really makes us feel all nice and tingly knowing that there's people that choose to listen to us on purpose and are even willing to fund our escapades. It, it really is uh, wonderful. So uh, whoever gets to come on with us, hope you uh, hope you have a lot of fun. We certainly will. Uh, and hope the rest of you will enjoy yourselves as I hope you always do. But for now, we have to get to the tougher questions about uh, regarding the playoff roster for the Atlanta Braves. And let's get right into it. The, the starting rotation... Um, lately they have not been, let's just say their best, um, looking like some of the guys might be a little bit tired. It's been a long season. Guys like Soroka and Freed have far outstripped their career innings. Um, but if I were to ask you, are you, are you worried? What is your panic meter? You know, this series, the starting pitching actually looked pretty decent. I mean, faulty. Fulty looked killer on Friday night, and and Freed Freed looked great on Saturday. Keuchel uh, looked better than than two earned runs or three three runs total. Had some little little shaky defense in there, and the Giants aren't exactly you know they're not a, a great team, but they're not terrible either. So you kind of have to take some of these results with a grain of salt. I panic have maybe like a three or a four. And and not even it's not even so much based on individual performances. I think a lot of it has to do with with the fatigue stuff and with you know you look at Soroka and stuff's not biting as much. He's still great. And and same thing with Freed, where he needed he needed that start after his last two starts. Um, he he definitely needed to something to to kind of build on a little bit there. What about you? Like, are you are you panicked at all? Like you're. Because you used to play, and you have a better insight into the player's mindset. Are you worried because you think they might be worried, or are you just worried because you're worried? No, I'm not. I'm not worried. Uh, I, I think the fatigue is the biggest factor when you're talking about Soroka and Freed. Uh, I think another another thing to consider is you're you're coming up on the end now. Everybody's known that the Braves are going to clinch for a while. Uh, you're getting into kind of these dog days, and everybody's kind of looking ahead to the playoffs. I think that's kind of a lot of it. Uh, you get some guys who go out there and want to make sure they have a great start, uh, and sometimes they can get into their head a little bit. I think being able to have that weight off their chest of now that they've clinched, the the race for the NL East is over, I think that's going to allow a lot of guys to focus up. And a lot, most of these guys, it's not their first time in the playoffs. Last year, just about everybody got their feet wet. So I, I think this year's a little bit different going into it. Uh, last year, when they were stumbling, if they were to stumble at the end, I would have been a little bit. I would have been more worried than I am this year. I'm. Re- I'm really not wor- that worried. I think they'll be fine. Uh, the real question is, who is your rotation? Like, who who are you taking? First off, are you going to do a three man or a four man rotation? Probably f- three for the NLDS and four for the NLCS. Does that make sense? Is that something that? Uh... Is that something that interests you? <laughs> actually, sure. actually, yeah, that, that's kind of the way that I would do it as well. Yeah, I think, I mean, Keuchel is absolutely getting a start. Soroka is absolutely getting a start. And for me, I don't see how you don't let Fulty start right now. He's been, and, and he was the, the one that I was really, like, you got to put him in the bullpen because you've been kind of inconsistent and also the guy that can throw 98 you know, and especially, and that's, and he can do that when he's throwing like six or seven innings, you know, so Foldy might hit a hundred out of the bullpen if you let him do it, but you also, 
you know, Freed can can sling it as well. He can touch 98, even if he's topping out of like 96 most of the time. I I think Keichel, Soroka, Freed for the NLDS, and then Keichel, Soroka, then Keichel, Fulte, Freed, Soroka for the NLCS. Uh, I think you would want to stack the lefties for the NLCS if you wind up facing the Dodgers. I think that Julio, Julio just makes me nervous, man. He's been so good. He's been so good, but he just, there's something about it to where it's, even if we know that he's made an entire career out of outpitching his FIP and outpitching his peripherals and doing better than he's quote unquote supposed to do, even when he is on a roll, every time it's still like, is this it? Is this is this going to be the end of this this good streak that he's been on? And and I don't know. I I just I'm so terrified. I'm terrified of him both as a starter and a reliever because you know if you you put him in and this and I I said when when we had our last get to know a patron segment with Tara, I said this is like Julio has been one of my biggest surprises of the season because he was essentially written off after the last two years and he's done great. But I don't know when you're in that playoff atmosphere, it's just different. Everything is kind of different and bringing him in as a reliever, especially if he's going to wind up being a multi-inning guy, like say you got to bring him in after Soroka, neither of those guys really throw gas. There's not like a huge separation between and velocity between those, which is where you have Keuchel go for a couple of innings and then you put Fulte in after that when, and the, it picks up like eight or nine miles per hour. Like that's a huge deal. But if you're going from Keuchel to Julio, then it's basically like the same guy just coming from the, the other arm. So I don't know. I, I, so I think, yeah, I think Keuchel, Fulte, Freed, Soroka for my four man. And then Keuchel, Soroka, Freed, if that's what I said for the NLDS. I just said a lot, dude. Please talk. <laughs> uh, I, I I can't disagree with most of it. I go back and forth on whether I want Soroka or I want Keuchel being the first one out of the gate. Um, I, I agree with you. In the NLDS, I would do a three-man. Um, I think it depends on the matchup. If you're talking about the Brewers... Without Christian Yelich, who really do you worry about lefty except for, what, Moustakis? Is that really the only lefty that, that, that you really worry about? Is Eric Thames doing anything this year? Is he even starting right now? I uh, don't believe so, but uh, really, really it's just Moustakis. So I would go righty heavy on that one. Um, Grindall, Grindall, too. He's a switch hitter. He's so switch, yeah. yeah he, he's a switch, so he can be scary no matter where he's at. Um, but I, I think on that one, I would probably go Soroka, Keuchel, Fulte. Uh, if you play the Cardinals, they've got a lot more. See, the Cardinals have, have kind of the same thing. Um, but on that one, I would go... They don't have a lot of pitching that worries me, so I really couldn't care less on that one. Uh, I would probably stick with the same. I think I'd go. I think I would go Soroka, Keiko, Fulte for the first three. Uh, I love Max. You know that I love Max. Um, I don't think that. I, I think that um, being able to use him out of the pen if you have to would be good. If you have to use him as a four starter, 
um, then obviously you can as well, and I would feel super confident. When you get to the NLDS and you're talking about being matched up with the Dodgers, this is why I, I kind of do it the way I do. Max doesn't. Max does not uh, do great against the Dodgers. Uh, not not a shock. Not a lot of pitchers do great against the Dodgers. They hit a lot of home runs. Um, I think whoever's going to take on Hinjin Ryu, and this one I would go by how they're going to announce. Basically, I would I would like to do it like this. Uh, let it be Keuchel versus Kershaw because it's not going to be too big for him. Kershaw and Keuchel have squared off before. Um, I would want to do Max versus Bueller if you're going to do Max or Fulty versus Bueller, either one of those. And let me do Soroka versus Hinjin Ryu. I think that's the best matchup there. Um, Kenta Maeda could do Fulty or Freed. I don't care. But I, I think in a in a four rotation, I would prefer to do it. Probably again, I'd probably like to go Soroka game one. Uh, I would like to do game two. I'd probably like to do Keuchel because he can come back when you're when you're in a dangerous spot there. Um, then if you're going to use Freed, I would do Freed and then Fulty. I would like to keep the right left right left. Um, if you need to, if if one of the guys doesn't get it done, I might even switch free to four. It kind of depends on how you're doing that series. So if you go down early, like if it's if it's um, if it's, if the series is one two in favor of the Dodgers, um, or o oh, two, or, yeah one two, and you're getting to game four, then I'm not sure that I want Max in that situation uh, because that would be kind of fresh for him. I think he could handle it, but ulti- ultimately. You could kind of flip-flop Max and Fulty, but I think some version of Soroka and Keiko should be your first two. I kind of want Soroka to go first because I don't think the moment's too big for him, and I think the momentum of being able to get that first win would be a little bit better for him. And I think Keiko would be your best bet at stopping um, stopping any momentum for the Dodgers should you lose the first game. That's a mm, that's a really good point. And there's so much that goes into it, too. You know, and, and it, <laughs> you will get a guy... You know, Freed is basically for both of us. He's kind of not necessarily on the outs, but he's not in that that top range. And you know, say what you will about pitcher wins, where we say if there, if you have a lot or if you don't have very many, then that's the only time it really matters. Seventeen wins is a lot, man. Even if you can debate how uh, applicable the actual statistic is, seventeen is a bunch, man. And having that guy who the Braves always seem to throw a ton of runs behind, having that be like relegated to the bullpen it's just crazy to think about but there's and by it, the way it, by the way that is something to consider the Braves offense performs best when Max Fried is on the mound and that that is not that is not me saying that I don't think Max gives you the best chance to win I think Max on his best day is by far the best pitcher the Braves have Fulty can get close on his best day but when Max is on his a game opposing teams have no chance like zero nothing so if you get that max he can he could beat anybody that he goes up against and that is a distinct possibility i just think that with the the sheer number of innings he's thrown if you if you get to a spot where you need a win i think keichel and soroka are the two most consistent and that would be what you're looking for if you're looking to halt some momentum fun fact for you uh in the Episode that we did where we were talking about Freed, who had the game score of 89 and that start against the Nationals and how good that was and how pretty legendary that was or for Braves performances over the last 20 years. Um, that, that was an 89. Fulty in the start against the Giants the other night uh, when the Braves closed the division had an 87. 
So your statement about Fulte on his best day is, is right about there where Freed is on his best day. That actually, there are numbers to bear that out as well. So, but that's a fun little tidbit there. So, and, and the good news now is, you know, there's five games left in the season and you can really look at it and, you know, you, everything is pretty much set. You know, you can, maybe you see something crazy happen like Washington totally falls apart. The Cubs stop falling apart and then they wind up, it winds up being Cubs Brewers in the wild card and, or, or whatever. And, uh, but yeah, for the most part, like in the, in the Braves realm right now, we know they're going to wind up facing the Cardinals games one and two in Atlanta, three, four in St. Louis. So whew, this is where it gets real. And the Braves have, I think that uh, our buddy Jay Dunn pointed this out where it's, you know, it's like the redemption tour where it's, you know, the Braves clinch against the Giants who they've got history with. They're going to face the Cardinals who they've got history, recent history with going to possibly go on to face the Dodgers and the NLCS who they've got history with. Now they're going to wind up facing the twins in the, in the world series. So that the whole thing is just going to be one giant stirring up the past and like killing your demons one by one on a national stage. So God, I'm not, there's no part of me that's like nervous about the NLDS or NLCS, but at the same time, I'm nothing but nervous about it. And I'm, I'm, God, I'm so nervous because we're so good. <laughs> I swear to God, I'm so like, oh, I'm so nervous about the fact that this team could actually win something. What if they win something? I'm gonna weep openly, dude. And I, I want it. I want to destroy the Cardinals. They always seem to be the team in the Braves' way. But them and the Dodgers both. I want to destroy the Cardinals and really you just have to figure out who's going to take on Jack Flaherty because that's really the only person they've got. Miles Michaelis has not been great his second year. Um, Michael Walker was atrocious. They don't, they don't have really any pitching at all. Adam Wainwright, it's been a great career. I love Wainwright for, for what he was for a long time, but he's washed. Their bullpen sucks. I want to destroy them. I'm, I'm talking like 9 nothing games, obliterate them, and, and once and for all, Get rid because you know all they're going to talk about in that series is the infield fly. And I really don't want that being brought back up anymore, but it's going to be talked ad nauseum in that series. So I really, I don't just want to like twist that dagger in their back. I want to like twist it, pull it out, shove it in again, maybe two or three more times and twist. Yeah, I don't even want to stab him in the back. I want to stab him in the front. Like I'm totally okay with with just sweeping the NLDS and celebrating on their field, and, and Dodgers, you know that's that will be the hurdle. And the, it's it's funny, like for for as many times as we we've, we've done like playoff look aheads now, it's we always go right to the Dodgers. You know, we always skip over whoever the Braves are going to face in the NLDS, and uh, and I think and and I think there is a very good possibility that that things are going to wind up swinging in the Braves' favor. But you never know, man. St. Louis is hot right now. And and I'm not I'm trying to not get too far ahead of myself, but yeah, it would just fill me with so much joy. Like even just just winning the series, it's been 19 years. I had just graduated high school when the Braves won their last playoff series, and you were 10, <laughs> yeah, something like that. It's been a long time. Uh, it's been a long time. Yeah, been a very long time. Uh, the the one other thing that gets you worried. I told you I'm not worried about the rotation. I think that they'll they'll settle down now that things are clinched and that kind of pressure is off of them for a minute. They can kind of take a breath and, and mentally get ready. But the offense hasn't looked real good either. The B lineup the other day actually looked really good, surprisingly. Um, 
the the regular starters though they've played a lot of innings and this is what you and I have been talking about all year the thing that worries you is did they blow their load did they play too much and gas themselves here at the very end all the other teams that are going to be in the postseason talking about the Dodgers the Astros uh, the you know the teams that actually matter they've been resting guys on a strict regimen all year and the Braves have not if you look at the the players that have played the most in the national in the National League most innings. Uh, are the most games, it'll probably be Acuna, Freddie, and Ozzy Albies in that order. Um, I, I, I got to say the offense, it bothers me a little bit because Dansby's not hitting. Um, Freddie, was, even before getting hurt today, Freddie was ice cold. Uh, I don't think he's homered in, in like two and a half, almost three weeks. Um, Donaldson's been been doing okay, but he's not been homering either. Uh, Ozzy's been Ozzy, and Acuna's been a little bit has been pretty in a pretty big slump as well. The offense as a whole has been kind of in a slump, so I wonder if they've been in. I don't know how you feel about this. I'm a little bit more worried about the offense than I am the defense. Well, ever since Marquez came back, they've been leading the league in professional at bats, Dylan. Uh, yeah, you're right though. And McCann, McCann's really not hitting. Um, Flowers, he hit great for the first month but it's been pretty middling ever since and it's it is funny going out and seeing that the b lineup hang eight on san francisco uh they that's a testament to the bench but it's i wonder how much of it has to do with the pressing and and being able to taste that you're you're right there and knowing that you know these guys like like i alluded to in the first half even with regular rest these guys still get tired you know it's a it's a long season it's very physically demanding and some of these guys like mccann like mccann is washed i what a great guy but he just looks so tired all of the time i I think that his knees are are probably giving him giving him a lot i'd be surprised if he winds up playing again after this year because i think that he knows that he's he's kind of reaching the end of the line there but for some of these guys i think that for acuna the, the push for 40-40 really kind of altered his approach at the plate. And I think when you start looking at, like, everybody started drawing comparisons to the 1973 team where it was Aaron and Davey Johnson, and I cannot remember the the third, third guy that had uh, 40 home runs that year. And I think that with Donaldson and, and Freeman and Acuna all shooting for that, I think that it kind of... The team is really good at grinding out at bats, and that they they've been really good at that all year. And so when it became like, hey, you've got to hit home runs if if, if we're gonna wind up getting to this record here, I think that kind of pushed everybody. Um, it's just been it's just been weird, and I think that having the the next week to calibrate. I'm glad they clinched when they did. I'm glad there's going to be some off days for everybody to kind of reset, get back where they need to be. Because with Ozzy getting Saturday and Sunday off, and then also getting Monday off with the with the built-in off day, you know he hasn't even been struggling. So having having arrested Ozzy Albies could be very dangerous. Same for for an Acuna that has looked much more relaxed and hitting. Like Friday night was the Acuna that we got accustomed to seeing a lot this year. So it could be all right. I've. The good news is any team you see in the playoffs, they're going to wind up being tired too. And By the way, the, the name you were looking for is Daryl Evans. Daryl Evans. Thank you. God, I've, the internet's terrible in this room. I could have looked that up, but I'd, <laughs> I'd still be waiting. So, so yeah, I, I'm not um, – I put my panic meter at 
probably like a three. I mean, the, this offense is actually better than the rotation. If you you get the best of the rotation and the best of the offense, the offense is actually better. I think so. I, my panic meter is not not very high for that. What about you? I think my panic meter is probably a four. Uh, I agree that the offense is better than the pitching, and that's why I'm a little bit more worried about the offense than the pitching. Because if the Braves are going to, God forbid, win a World Series, it's going to be on the back of the offense. Um, and now I say it's a four because I'm going to keep an open mind. We'll see how they go with rest. But I reserve the right to change that four to an eight should we get through game one or two and the offense has done nothing. Yeah, that was it was pretty, pretty deflating in the NLDS last year when I, I want to say the Braves got shut out for each of the first two games. And even even in the third game, they only scored two runs outside of the Acuna Grand Slam. So this year will be interesting now that everybody has had a chance to get their feet wet, see the lights, see how much bigger of a stage it actually is. Last year will will not uh, did not die in vain. I think that was a huge learning experience for a lot of guys. And I'm excited to see Mike Fultonavich back in the playoffs. He grew up as a Cardinals fan. I want to see, I want to see Fulte, um back in the playoff. I want to see him pitch against the Cardinals, pitch against the Dodgers. Oh, I'm so excited! I just, I just, I want to do an entire episode that's dedicated to just talking about how much I like Mike Fulton. <laughs> We're going to be hard up for off-season content, so we'll, we'll we'll schedule that. I mean, I, I I agree with you there, but the the other thing that we have to talk about this offense is. I, I really don't want to read this topic because people are going to think that I'm just hating. Um, Doc, you read the next thing. <laughs> is, is this about Mr. Swanson? Yes. All right. So there was a conversation going around uh, Twitter earlier this week about how Dansby should be moved up in the order to reignite him. Um, I thought it was silly. I think you also thought it was pretty silly. Uh, I think it's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. Like, who rewards a player for not performing? And the problem is, and this is why I seem to have such a problem with Dansby, it's because it's the people that are fans of Dansby like that. This isn't the way I thought this conversation was going. We'll we'll finish this Dansby conversation. We'll actually turn this around in a little bit. Uh, But for this particular topic... If a guy is not hitting at all, and he's not hitting in the six hole, which is like the easiest spot to hit in a lineup, he's not hitting in the seven hole, why would you move him to the two hole with a guy who's been outstanding in the two hole? Why would you make your first inning worst, worse just because you happen to like a player? That's all it is. Like, if it were Ozzy struggling, guess what? People would say, move him back down to eight. If it were Acuna struggling, People be talking about, oh, move him down in the lineup. If if those guys were hitting the way that Dansby was, it would move them. It'd be move them down. If uh, if Marcakis had come off the the IL and had been horrible, you and I would have both been saying move him down. But when it's Dansby Swanson's, oh, just move him to the two hole. That'll spark him. That what sort? How does that make sense? I mean, a lot of it I think has to do with with the fact that that he he did thrive there earlier in the season. That was when he played his best ball. But at the same time, when you look at they did it to Ozzy. They did it to Dansby earlier in the season. They've done it a number of times that when you're trying to they did it somebody, to Austin Riley. Everybody does the same thing. When you're struggling, you move down until you start hitting. And yeah, not not just down, but like hitting in front of the pitcher. So if nothing else, you can at least work on your strike zone discipline and start taking some walks and get re-familiar with what it feels like to be on base because if you're having trouble hitting. Now Dansby, 
his he's actually making good contact when he makes contact, but he's struggling to make good contact right now. And it's interesting that your biggest problem with Dansby is not actually Dansby. It's the people who like Dansby, but it's cool. Um, but no, I don't see any scenario where he's going to move out of the eight slot. I would be surprised if he hits anywhere other than eight at any point for the rest of this season. And that's fine because if he, if he can keep any struggles at the plate, at the plate, then that's okay. Today is the first day that I've seen him really kind of start struggling defensively as well, which is kind of what started to happen in like 2017. When at the beginning of 2017, he was hitting the cover off the ball, but he was hitting right at guys. And this year, you you did even see a lot of that in the first half before he even got hurt. You're still seeing when he does make contact, you're seeing more of that now, but he's not moving up. There's there's no reason to. That's top four. It's not just written in pen. It's written in like giant permanent marker. So and that's that's how it should be. You know, and we'll go back to that after you know, once the playoffs kick up, the Acuna, Albies, Freeman, Donaldson. That's how it's gonna be. And and there's really no reason, like maybe you put flowers eighth, I guess. But for the most part, Dansby's gotta stay in the eight hole. And that's not even the the line that I thought we were going to be taking. The other part of this Dansby conversation that is starting to really pick up some steam is, do you sit him and start a Danny Echevarria because a Danny has been performing so well as a Brave? That's where I thought we were going to take this. I just didn't want to be the person to say, hey, do you sit Dansby? Um, <laughs> I've got thoughts on this one too, but I want to start off with yours. Uh, if you are Brian Sticker, how, or, or how much do you consider starting a Danny Echevarria over Dansby? Damn, man, I don't know. I mean, I I don't I don't think it's gonna happen. I I think that no matter what, I think it's that that it's Dansby's job unless he he goes hitless for the next five games. I don't think that it's even gonna enter Snet's mind because being a player's manager, you know, Dansby's his guy. He's been there for you know three and a half years, and he's got all the faith in the world. Because when Dansby's good, he is actually he's pretty good, but. Hetchavaria, yeah, he has been hitting a lot. And if you look at what it'll do to your bench, too, you know, you got seven guys that can pick up Dansby Swanson at any given time. But if you need to turn to him in a late game scenario, then you don't want to have compromised your bench by the fact Dansby's not hitting, Dansby's not fielding. At that point, he's basically Camargo, and you're scared to use him in any capacity. But uh, mm, I don't know. It's a, it's a strange world. I, when he got when Hedgeberia got signed, I never thought that that would wind up being the conversation. But what do you what do you do? Like, do you do you plug him in? Do you think it's going to happen, or do you think that it, they just their hands are kind of tied? I wouldn't, and I'll tell you this: Adani Hedgeberia, I love what he's done for the Braves, but we've seen this a lot where guys have these random stretches with the Braves. Um, a Aaron, for instance, Aaron Harang, where they they perform really really well. Uh, and then, unfortunately, the, the clock does strike midnight. Dansby Swanson is a better hitter than a Danny Echevarria. Um, defensively, they're pretty comparable. I think Dansby has more range at this point, but I think Echevarria is probably a stronger stronger defender. Dansby does a better job, I think, of making routine plays. Um, but I, I, think, I think Dansby will remain the starting shortstop. I still think he hits eighth or seventh when Tyler Flowers is in the game because Tyler is a horrible hitter as well. Um, but I, I really do need to see Dansby pick it up here in the last five games. I don't think that it's even a real possibility that that Dansby doesn't start if he's healthy. I think that uh, I think that 
you can't really do that for the reasons you mentioned for one thing, but for another, I I wouldn't be all that confident that Echeverria is going to actually hit in the playoffs either. Because I mean, who's he really hitting against now? They're not facing they're not facing elite pitching, and Adani's just ripping the cover off of elite pitching. You know, he's ripping the cover off of some bad pitchers, and he's had some spots this year. But you've got enough of a there's enough on the back of his baseball card to know what he's going to do, and. You just brought this up. This is the last thing I really kind of wanted to talk about before we end the show today. The bench for the Braves. Last year, we went into the playoffs talking about, boy, our bench is as shallow as any playoff team I've ever seen. And we got really excited as the season started because, holy crap, our bench, we've got a uh, we've got a three-war player in Camargo on the bench. Matt Joyce has been good as, 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 as recently as two years. We've got starters on our bench now. Well, now we're heading into the playoffs again, and we're almost in the same boat that we were last year because of all these injuries. It's still better. It's a better situation. But well, it's better yeah. because there's no Rene Rivera and Ryan Flaherty. Yeah, Ryan Ryan Flaherty will not be getting his his 2019 World Series ring. Not not from Atlanta, anyways. But uh, but yeah, man, it's the Culberson thing. That was oh god, just got chills running up half my body for just thinking about the image of that but that sucks just because of the versatility and he went through like an 0 for 27 streak at some point you know but he can he can still play everywhere he's a good solid stand-up dude camargo i mean these two got these they got hurt within like three days of each other this, these guys can combine to play every single position and you, you lose both of them w- over the course of a weekend. Camargo might come back. Uh, you don't hear a whole lot about the progress of his shin right now, but it hasn't been completely written off. So uh, he could still come back, and they need him because, good God, he was hitting so well, so well before he got, he got knocked out. But now Hechevarria is a lock to make it. Um, I mean, Joyce obviously is, is going to wind up being there. Billy Hamilton is going to wind up being there. And these guys, once again, all starters, all former starters, not not just role player guys that uh, that happen to find their way onto the roster. Austin Riley, just by virtue of positional versatility and the fact that maybe he can hit a home run, um, he could probably find himself on there as well. And maybe like Duvall, I guess. I don't know. It's it's hard not having like that Swiss Army knife type. I mean, the loss of Charlie hurts in a number of different ways, and I and I hate to make about make it about anything that's um, gonna seem inhumane, but it, like just his, the the overall loss of him as a dude and the overall loss of him as a baseball player. It's not um, it's not exactly even. No, it, it most definitely isn't because. Should Charlie be healthy, I'm not certain that Austin Riley or Adam Duvall would be on the postseason roster. I think one of them would make it, and the other one would not. Uh, so you're already having a scramble there. I still do think that the, the talent on the bench is undeniably better. Um, they're not quite performing at it in some ways, but I think um, just having Matt Joyce being able to come in and, and pinch it, I think Matt Joyce is going to get a lot of at-bats in the postseason. I hope so. I really hope he does. Overall, though, all that said, the doom and gloom of this second segment out of the way. How you feeling? I feel fantastic. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm so happy. And and the every win this year, you know, at, you know, they were 18 and 20 at one point, and now they're 96 and 61 or whatever. That's quite the turnaround. And 
you know, we can start throwing out arbitrary dates that we've been the best team in baseball since, and we're going going to make some noise. <laughs> I think I agree with you there. I think uh, I think this Braves team has a chance to be very special. I don't know that I would predict World Series yet, but um, this is a very special team, and it's going to be a very special team for a long time. There's a lot of these guys who are coming back for years and years and years, and this offseason the Braves have a chance to uh, even put a, a, another big stamp on that. We know they like to do extensions, so I, I'm still thinking we see a Mike Soroka extension this year. Um We'll see what else happens along the way, but the Braves should have some money to spend as well, and the core of this team will be remaining intact for at least the next seven years, and that is a very scary thought for the rest of the National League. Get a little World Series at some point, right? There has to be something, right? The baseball guys are going to smile on Atlanta at some some point. They have to. Unless you just keep digging up their old tweets. Well, you know. (laughs) (laughs) They're... There are people for that. Right. But uh, I, I do believe this Braves team is, is on their way to another dynasty. I don't know that I'm going to say 14 straight again, but they are certainly on the right track as the Braves have officially started a brand new streak after winning the NL East again. Thank you guys so much for listening today. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Sorry that it came out on Monday, but we hope it, it brightens up your Monday just a little bit. Thank you, guys. We'll be back again on Friday of this week, so you'll get two TPS episodes this week. Uh Big shout out to all of our patrons. Make sure you guys are paying attention to Twitter. We'll be posting a video with our with our latest patron shortly. Guys, enjoy your week. Enjoy the Braves baseball. Don't freak out over this last week, guys. Let, let's just kind of uh, kind of calm down a little bit. Let's take a breath before we get all fully into playoff mode. Doc, thanks as always, buddy. It's a pleasure. Hey man, thanks for uh, thanks for continuing to have me back on the Platinum Sparrow podcast. It's always, Eighty-one uh, strong, two <laughs> years in a row. We're the best. We're we're tracking towards uh, tracking towards a hundred episodes. Uh, I'm looking forward to the extravaganza, and uh, yeah, I, I'm excited for a year from now when we get to tell people that we won three consecutive division titles. That's right. The three peat is the key, and that's it for us, everybody. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. We'll be back later this week here on the Platinum Sombrero. Just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm-mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.